Thank you so much. Hey, I enjoyed the last time I was with you all, and I'm really happy to be back here in Sebastopol, the city I never can spell right on MapQuest, but <laughs> it figures it out, and I get here. Um, basically, I'm just a really happy guy. I'm a really happy guy. I've been really blessed by God. Can anyone here relate? I'm just so blessed more than I deserve, and, and, I'm, and I just enjoy life. One thing I really enjoy uh, are weddings. Now, how many people have ever been to a wedding? Okay, that's all of us. Um, you know, weddings are very unpredictable. You never know what's going to happen. And they're fun. They're fun. I saw a video. I wasn't at this one, but I saw a video of this one wedding where, I don't know why they did this, but the, but the bride and the groom were placed right in front of a swimming pool. And at some point during the ceremony... Uh, the bride, for some reason, took a step back, and I kid you not, she started teetering, and she fell in the pool. Now, men, this is a chance for you to earn brownie points, okay? If that were your bride who fell in the pool, what would you do immediately? It were the women who were the ones that said jump in, not the men. <laughs> this is your chance, men. But yeah, so this, uh, this groom, his bride fell in the pool, so immediately he jumps in after her. And then the best man did it. <laughs> then the maid of honor. Then both wedding parties jumped in the pool. And late to the game, but at least he arrived, the pastor jumped in the water. <laughs> now, I call that a pool party, isn't that? Now, there's another wedding that I, I when I think of fun weddings, I, I remember this uh, Several years ago, I was asked to perform a wedding uh, for this guy named Frank and his bride, and Frank was so excited to kiss the bride, and uh, a little overly excited. She walked down the aisle, and uh, he was supposed to just take her hand and turn towards me, and instead he reached out to kiss her, and I said, Frank, no kissing yet. It's not kissing time. So Frank, Frank's okay, and then he, they walked up, and I gave a little message, and I said, now it's time to exchange vows, turn to one another, and they turned, and he tried to kiss her again. I said, Frank, it's not kissing time yet. And I kid, I kid you not, three or four times he tried to kiss this bride. Finally, they turned around. I said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, Frank, you may kiss your bride. And I then witnessed the longest kiss that I'd ever seen in a wedding. I mean, he kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed this woman. Uh, did I mention to you, by the way, that they were both 80 years old? That's a true story. That is a true story. I love, and I just laugh every time I think about Frank kissing his bride. I guess he didn't have, I guess he viewed they didn't have many years left to keep kissing her, so he's going to get it all in, you know. Well, weddings are a great thing, and, and weddings, one reason I like weddings is because weddings, something happens at weddings that most people in our culture don't understand anymore. And they're ripping themselves off because if, if you understand really what the heart of a wedding is, then you'll understand not only the heart of the gospel, but the heart of the Bible and what it means to be a human being and just about everything. Weddings are, are centered around promises. A wedding is a place where two people promise or vow in front of witnesses for life. Now, 
promise-making and promise-keeping are hugely important. But again, our culture doesn't understand it. Some people say, you know, well, I told them I'd be there, but it's no big deal if I don't show up, and they break a little promise. Or other people will say, uh, you know what, I like to keep my options open. I'm not going to commit. And in doing so, they just rip themselves off from an incredibly powerful uh, gift that God has given us. I want to suggest to you this morning that the ability to make and keep promises is one of the very best gifts God has ever given you. And parents, it's one of those things we should really train our kids to excel at, to make and keep promises. Well, we're going to look at this in the Bible, and uh, I want to start off by talking about Jesus, because Jesus made many astounding promises, and he kept his promises. And here's just a few. If you want to look at the screens with me, Jesus, uh, in his ministry, he said, surely I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Wow, what a promise. No matter where you go, do you realize he's with you? That's a fabulous promise. Do you realize no matter what happens in your life, you're not alone? Well, then why do so many Christians feel lonely. Well, here's another promise he made. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Wow. Jesus not only gives us his love, but he gives us his joy. According to this verse, he has promised that his joy will be in us and will be complete. I love that promise. I mean, but if that's true then why are we Christians so unhappy so much of the time? Why do Christians come to a church with a, with a you know, sour-looking face, like they just had lemons for breakfast or something like that? I mean, really, why aren't Christians the happiest people on earth? And then think of this promise. Jesus also said, come to me, all who are worry and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Um, that's a great promise. He will give us rest. He'll give us peace. But do you know any Christians that aren't at rest, that worry a lot, that aren't filled with peace? Why is that? Then the last one here, um, my father's house has many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. You know, this is saying that, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you die, that's not the end. There's another place. It's called heaven. And he's already there. Your reservation is secure, and he's preparing a place for you, designing it just for you. Wow. Now, let's look at all four of these again really quickly. If the first one were true in our lives, if Jesus said, surely I'm with you always at the very end of the age, then if that were true, what would we be like? Well, I want, you can write in your outline, never alone. And if that were true, you could go throughout life always knowing that Jesus is by your side in spirit, but you are never, ever, ever alone. You don't have to be lonely again. Here's another way of looking at the second one. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you so that your joy may be complete. If this became true in our lives, then we would be joyful. Maybe not all the time, but most of the time. Do you know some Christian that could use a little more joy in his or her life? 
That's what this verse promises. How about the next one? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you know anybody that is filled with anxiety? Yet this promises that we will be peaceful and at rest. And then the last one, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going, to prepare, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this is true, then we have reason to be hopeful. My friend, never alone, joyful, peaceful, hopeful. Jesus has promised all these things to you. And if you're not experiencing them, then, then what's the deal? Is it because Jesus is not keeping his promise? Or because somehow we're not connected to that promise? So I want to today talk about promises the promises of Jesus and how if we can, if we can just uh, involve ourselves in, with the promises of Jesus, our lives can change dramatically. Our churches can change dramatically. So what are promises? Well, I'm going to give you three things promises are. First of all, promises are at the very core of Christianity and they're, they're at the core of our identity. Honestly, I believe promises are one of God's very greatest gifts he has given to us as Christians. Now, how are promises at the core of Christianity? Well, think about your Bible for a minute, right? Most people know that the Bible basically is made up of two parts, right? And you fill in the blank word. There's an Old Testament, and there's a New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. Well, what does that mean? Testament isn't a word we use too much in our culture. I mean, you don't hire a plumber and say, hey, I need it done by Friday. And can you get it done by Friday? And the, and the plumber says, I testament to you, it will be done on time. You know, people don't use that language, right? Uh, a guy doesn't call a girl and say, hey, I would like to go out on a date. Uh, can we testament together to meet at a certain place in time? No, I mean, if, if he said that, she'd probably think he was weird and would say no. So what does testament mean? Well, testament... Parvum testamentum, novum testamentum, or the Latin words, Old and New Testaments. Testamentum is just the transliteration of testament. And in our culture, some people translate it covenants. So Old Testament could be Old Covenant. New Testament could be New Covenant. Now, covenant isn't a word we use much either, is it? So let me give you an even more current word. What does testament, what does covenant mean? It just means promises. Testaments and covenants are promises. You know, a testament is something, is a promise someone makes, a last will and testament. It's a promise of what they want to give to, their, to their, uh, um, those that survive them. A covenant is a promise between two parties. And a promise, well, I'm going to talk about what a promise is today. But promises are central to what the Bible and what Christianity is. I mean, Old Testament and New Testament. Well, what do we learn in the Bible about promises? Well, here's the thing from cover to cover. And if you get this, the rest of the sermon is going to fall in place. So listen carefully. Promises reflect who God is because God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. That's what the Bible says. That's why it's an old promise and a new promise. That's why there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. It's all about God. God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, you know, remember the story of Noah and the earth is flooded? 
After the flood's over, God comes to Noah, and he says, Noah, I promise I will never destroy the earth by flood again. And actually, interestingly, he then, he then uses the rainbow as a symbol for that. Now, for me, I like to apply that this way. When I see a rainbow, every time I see a rainbow, I think, I don't think of Noah and the flood. I think of God as a promise-making and promise-keeping God. Every, every rainbow reminds me of his promises, not just that one. So God said to Noah, hey, I'm never going to flood the earth again. But why did, why did God even tell his plans to Noah? God could have stayed up in heaven and said, you know what? I'm never going to flood the earth again, but I'm not going to let him know. Why did God share his plans? Why did God make promises? Here's another example. To Abram, uh, Abram, who was childless because his wife Sarah was uh, barren, God came to Abram and said, Abram, look at the stars. So shall your descendants be. And basically that was a promise. He made a promise to Abram that, hey, you, you don't have any kids right now, but guess what? Someday you're going to have tons of descendants Kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. I mean, they're going, to be, they're going to be like the stars of the heaven. Now, God didn't have to make that promise. He didn't have to tell Abram his plan. He could have stayed up in heaven and said, you know what? I'm going to bless this man, but I'm not going to tell him about it. So why does God do that? Well, God reveals to us in making promises that he's a promise-making and promise-keeping God. Plus, the Old Testament says that you and I are created in his image. Listen to um, um, Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, we are created in the image of God, and since God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God, what does it mean for us then to be in God's image? We are to be promise-makers and promise-keepers. That's who you are. That's what it means to be human. You are a promise-maker. You are a promise-keeper. Nothing in the animal kingdom or anything else in all creation that we know of even comes close to this. You've been created in God's image, and that means you are to be a promise maker and a promise keeper. And that will transform your life. That will transform the lives of those around you. It will transform your church if we can just get a hold of this idea that God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God, and we are to be like Him. Now, there's another reason that God made us to be promise makers and keepers. Because promise making and keeping is this incredible tool that God has given us. Um, do you guys know what I, when I mean tools, I mean, you know, things used in art or in, let me ask this way. Uh, how many of you guys here or gals are tool people? You're, you're tool guys, you love tools. Anybody besides me? I love tools. I mean, I have way too many tools and I, it's, it's, it's another addiction I didn't mention earlier. I love tools. Um, as a matter of fact, years ago I was a, uh, I was working in in a in college. I was working at a welding supply company, and we all had nicknames based on our favorite tools. One guy we called him the hammer. 
Because no matter what was wrong, what bolt was, was stuck, anything, he said, oh, I'll just hammer it. I'll ha- I'll, let me hit it. Let me hit it. You know, that was the hammer. Another guy was the torch. Because anything that happened, if something was stuck, oh, let me, let me torch it. Let me, let me cut it off or let me heat it up. And he, he loved fire. Another guy was duct tape. I don't even need to explain that, do I? Would you guys like to know what my nickname was? Okay. I'm still proud of this nickname, i got to say. I was Vice Grips. Because I love Vice Grips. I think they're the greatest tool ever, ever invented because they're good for about everything, you know. So anyway, I was Vice Grips. I love tools to this day, but my favorite tool of all that God has given me to help shape my family, shape my own life, is is promise-making and keeping. You see, promises are God's tool to help us shape the future. Here's the interesting part. You know, a saw shapes some wood, and, uh, you know, a a welder shapes some metal, but promise-making and promise-keeping shapes the future. Now, did you know that you could shape the future? If you ask people and say, can you do anything about the future, most people say, oh, no. I can't control the future. Oh, yes, you can. When you make promises, you reach out, as one author wrote, into tomorrow's oceans of uncertainty, and you create islands of security. Let me read that to you again. I think that's one of the most beautiful sentences ever written outside the Bible. When we make promises, we reach out into tomorrow's oceans of uncertainty and create islands of security. Lewis Meads, one of my professors in college, wrote that. And here's the deal. You know, tomorrow is vague, it's unsure, it's like this chaotic ocean, anything can happen. But hey, if you and I make a plan together, if I say, hey, you want to have lunch tomorrow? Yeah, let's have lunch tomorrow. We decide to meet somewhere at such, such, such time, such, such a place. Guess what? Both of us have reached out into tomorrow, and we have driven a stake of the thing that's going to happen. Unless, you know, some unforeseen terrible thing occurs, we're going to make every effort to be there, right? We've begun to bring shape to tomorrow. If I were to uh, uh, hire one of you as an employee... I said, okay, you know, you're on the payroll now. You show up at work on, on Monday, and you're going to work Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And I'm going to be your boss, and I'll, I'll manage you, and I'll pay you, you know, on paydays. Guess what? Those are promises, right? Now, has that shaped the future? Oh, yeah. Every Monday through Friday now, you have shape to your life. It's called a career. And you will have shape like that for most of your life. And I'll have shape to my life, and together we, we have to be in a certain time, a certain place, certain responsibilities. That's what promises do. Promises actually shape the future. And Jesus himself is a great example of this. Now turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, uh, he's come back to, uh, to life. And he's met with some women, and now he's meeting with some of his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Now look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Okay, now 
a lot of people don't ever mention this verse, you know. It's like just a throwaway verse, go to Galilee. But what is Jesus doing when he tells these disciples to go tell my brothers to go to Galilee? I will meet them there. What is Jesus doing? He's making an appointment. It's like he has his day timer. And he's like, okay, now here, tell my brothers to go to Galilee and and, and we'll meet in such such time and place. Now look down at verse uh, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He told them to place the time. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So Jesus actually, uh, he set an appointment. He made a promise. And then did he keep that appointment? Yes. Jesus is a promise maker and a promise keeper. It's so important that we train ourselves and our children and those we love to be promise makers and keepers. Our culture completely misunderstands this. Our culture thinks that, you know, well, if, if, if he said he'll be here, but he's not on time, it's no big deal. Oh, yes, it is. You know, uh, um, or if, I, I know somebody said, well, I don't like to make promises. I like to keep all my options open. That's a terrible way to live your life. That's just surrendering tomorrow to chaos. It's not taking any kind of ownership or responsibility about the path you're going to take. People think they're smart by saying, oh, I want to keep my options open. No, really, they're just ripping themselves off. And parents, it's the little things that add up to responsibility. It's the little promise-making and keeping that add up to someday a child being able to keep the big promises and to make the big promises and keep the big promises. It's so important. Um, Jesus did this. Uh, Promise-making is a wonderful, wonderful tool. And, and he's shaped the future for us. He said to us in his promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. Guess what? He's keeping his promise right now. He's with you by your side in spirit. He's promised I will give you joy. He's keeping his promise. He's trying to fill us with his joy. He's, he said when we die, we don't have to worry. He'll keep his promise. So promise making and keeping, first of all, reflects the image of God. You got that so far? It's at the center of who we are and what Christianity is. Second of all, Promise making and keeping is an incredibly valuable tool to help shape the future of ourselves, our families, our churches, everything we're involved with. But last, promises are God's relationship building tool. Have you ever wondered how friendships are built, how families become strong? how relationships are built? Well, it's done by promise-making and promise-keeping. You see, a relationship starts off, you know, like, hey, you know, you want to play, play golf next week? Yeah, let's meet for golf next week. And the two people, what do they do? They set a time and a place. That starts the relationship. And then uh, they you know, get together afterwards, they get their families together, and slowly through the making of appointments and keeping of appointments, you discover whether the person's trustworthy or not, whether the person's reliable or not. And if the person's reliable and trustworthy, you build this relationship together. A guy says to a girl, hey, uh, 
um, let's go out on a date. And she says, okay. And they, meet, they decide to meet someplace Friday at 8. And, and if he's there Friday at 8, and if she's there Friday at 8, that's a good start. Promises made, promises kept. But if either is really late and acts like it's no big deal, that's a red flag, isn't it? Do you know what dating is? Dating is a time given people by God to discern whether the person they're thinking about married is a good promise maker and promise keeper. But our culture, they've thrown that all out the window now. There's no reason to date. There's no reason to, uh, you know, there's no reason to even get married. Have you heard this before? We don't need a piece of paper to show we're in love. Oh, yes, you do. I mean, even secular studies say that people that aren't married are five times more likely, five times more likely to split up than people that are married. Plus, studies show that people that live together without marriage, there tends to be more violence and, uh, and fighting. They tend to report lower levels of happiness. And you may be thinking, well, I know this couple that aren't married and they're doing great. Well, there's always exceptions to every, every set of statistics, right? But that doesn't mean the statistics are wrong. Promise-making and promise-keeping is how friendships are built. It's how marriages are built. It's how families and, and, and generational strength and legacy is built. This is why God made promises to Noah, Abraham, etc. God, God could have said, you know, I'm not going to flood the earth again, but I'm not going to tell him. Why did God tell Noah? Why did God make Noah a promise? Because it was, I, wanna, I want Noah to be involved with me. I want us to start walking together. And I want him to be able to see that I'm, I'm, a, that I'm a God who keeps my promises. Why did God say to Abraham, Abraham uh, look at the stars, Abraham. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Because God wanted a relationship with Abraham. He wanted a friendship. God, the Bible says, is a God of love. You see, God doesn't just want followers. He wants relationships. He wants friendships. He wants love. And then at some point in our lives, for most of us, comes the big kahuna, the big promise. When some guy kneels down and says, will you marry me? And the woman says, Yes, then they're engaged. But is, that, is the engagement a, a marriage? No. The, then they arrange a marriage. They invite friends to witness their vows, their promises. Beginning, again, our culture doesn't understand this at all. Um, over the years, I've had a lot of couples that have asked me to perform their weddings. And, and, and quite often they say, we want to write our own vows. And I often tell them that's a bad idea. Because most of the vows I've read are just, they're just superficial, uh, saccharine. They just don't have the teeth and the strength of the traditional vows. But they think they're being so artsy and cutesy. And, and here's one example. One couple, this is the vow they wrote. Um, uh, I vow to love you as long as our love shall last. <laughs> now, is that a vow that's going to get them through the hard times of life? I vow to love you as long as our love shall last. Folks, that's not a promise. 
That's a surrender agreement in advance. Another couple, their vow was this. Um, I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. Now, is that a promise that will last a lifetime? Folks, I can't promise you forever, but I can promise you today. That is literally a one-night stand. (laughs) That's all it is. But real promises have teeth. They've got strength. When Amy and I were married, my wife Amy is sitting in the back, and she'll be at the little book table afterwards. But when Amy and I were married, we opted for the traditional vows. And I still remember, this is what I said. I, Rick, take you, Amy, to be your husband, to have and hold for this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. Before God and these people, I promise you my faithful love. Thanks for witnessing our, our vow renewal here this morning. You know, it's, a, it's something you didn't know you were coming to, but those, those vows have strength. Those vows have teeth. They are costly. And we made that kind of vow till death do us part. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, in our house, we've got a certificate that I made at our last church um, it's called Marriage Covenant. We promise never to divorce. And then we both signed it and dated it. And we have that on the wall of our house. Our kids grew up reading that on the wall of our house. They knew we would never, never divorce. I mean, and I know Amy will never divorce me. I, I may not be easy to get along with sometimes. Actually, let me say that differently. Oftentimes, I'm not easy to get along but I know she's made a promise and she will keep it and I will keep it. And our kids know that we will keep it. And so our kids grow up with this foundation of knowing that no matter where they're at, they come home and mom and dad are still reliable. They're trustworthy. They keep their promises. And then we raise our kids to make and keep promises because that's who we are. We're created in the image of God. So we are promise makers and promise keepers. You know, um, it's not easy. Promises, promises are costly. When I made that promise to Amy, I had no idea how difficult it would be at times. You know, when I, when I held each of our three kids, we have three kids, they were born about a couple years apart, and Amy held them first, you know, because she did all the work, and then she gave them to me, and uh, I still remember holding them. And each one of them, I looked at them, and I was just overwhelmed with love, and I, I looked at my kids, and, and in my heart, I didn't say the word out loud, but in my heart, I said, oh, you are my precious child, and I promise I'm going to be a good dad for you. I'm going to love you for the rest of your life. I'm going to take care of you. I will always be there for you. You know, I was just a young man. I had no idea how much kids would actually cost. (laughs) 
they cost a fortune. And I'm not just even saying just financially. I mean emotionally, spiritually, physically, socially. But, you know, that's one of the best commitments I've ever made. And it has shaped them, and it has shaped me. I reached out into my future and their future, and I began to bring structure to the rest of our lives. That's who God created you to be. Not someone who gives up. Not someone who throws in the towel. God didn't throw in the towel. Do you think it was costly for God to keep his promise to send a Savior who would die on a cross? Was it costly for God to give up his only begotten son that you and I could be forgiven? Oh, it was costly. But that's what true promises are. True promises are costly. They're going to cost you everything. It's almost like Sam said in The Lord of the Rings. He said, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, and I intend to keep it. That's who God made us to be. You know, there's a phrase in 2 Peter 1.4 that wraps this all up. If you have your Bibles, you can look at that. 2 Peter 1.4. If you're looking for 2 Peter in your Bibles, it's right after 1 Peter. <laughs> 2 Peter 1.4 says this. It says, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature. That means through His very great and precious promises we'll become more like Christ, we'll become more God-like. And then He says, and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Folks, would you like to become more Christ-like? Would you like your family members, your friends, your kids to become more Christ-like? Would you like all of those above to, be, to escape the corruption of this world? Guess what the tool is that God gave you to accomplish those. It says it right here in First, 2 Peter 1.4. It's his very great and precious promises. So now how can you do this? How can the promises of Jesus specifically come true in our lives? Well, I'll tell you what I like to do. I like to pray his promises daily. And I've just arranged his promises with the days of the week. Um, now, I did write a book in which I arranged the promises and I did all the work for you. So if you want to check it out, you can check it out afterwards. But you don't need my book to do this. You've got the Bible. Just read through the New Testament and highlight all the promises of Jesus. Then write them down. And then daily, just take one of them and pray that promise and say, Jesus, thank you for this promise. I'm going to hold you to it. May this promise come true in my life. And then pray it for others you love. Pray it for your spouse or your friends or your kids or, or your neighbors or whoever that you'd like to see that promise come true. And there are so many promises in the, in the Gospels alone that you can get pages and pages and you'll have so much to pray about. And you know what? Praying the promises of Jesus is a fun way to pray. And it's also something that will, it's easy to do. You'll learn how to pray. So I encourage you to pray the promises of Jesus because his promises are very great and they're precious.
But most of us are living our lives as if he didn't mean it. He meant it. And they're yours to experience. Now, before I pray, I want to say one final thing. We're going to enter into a moment of communion now. And you've had communion before in this church. And communion is where we take the bread. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do you remember that? And then he said, and this is my blood, which is shed for you. This, my blood is the new covenant. What's a covenant? It's a promise. He says, my blood is my promise. This, is, this is, symbolizes my new promise to you. That if you believe in me, I'll forgive all your sins and I'll take you to heaven when you die. That's a promise. And if you haven't ever made, made a decision to follow Jesus, then you're, you're not able to experience that promise. And you can do that right now. Or if you're a Christian and you haven't understood that, that then just in this time of prayer say, Jesus, thank you for this promise and may it come true in my life today. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for all that you teach us through your word. Thank you for your very great and precious promises. And I pray, Lord, that this church and the people in this church could be molded more by your promises than by the broken promises of the world. I know there are people here that have had promises made to them that were broken, and it left them shattered and, and, and struggling. But God, you've made promises, and you will never break them. They're very great and they're precious. So we claim your promises today. We ask you to help us to live by them and may your promises come true in our lives because we are your followers. If there's anyone here today that's never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior, then now would be a perfect time. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray that prayer and say, Jesus, I want to be a Christian. I pray you come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Maybe there's someone here that you're a Christian and you've come to communion many times, but you just didn't realize that this was a promise, a symbol of the promise that he has made to you. That if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Lord, thank you for all your promises. Thank you for the bread that represents what you did on the cross, and thank you for your blood that represents the promises that you've made to us. And we thank of them both in Jesus' name. Amen.
worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the 